1: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. This is an emergency podcast. We're coming to you just after the end of the day-night test at Ahmedabad, which became just the eighth two-day test since the Second World War, as India beat England by 10 wickets to go 2-1 up in the series of one-to-play. I'm Yazrana, and to talk through those two days with me is the Features Editor of Wisdom.com, Tar Hashim, the Managing Editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, and the Editor-in-Chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. We've had loads of questions in about the quality of the pitch. Um, I think it's worth briefly going back to the second test where we didn't actually talk about the pitch that long at all. Our general consensus between us was that it was broadly fine. Callum Dutia asks, is a pitch where Joe Root takes five for eight considered a good advertisement for test cricket? Uh, 28 of the 30 wickets to fall in the test failed to spin. 17 wickets fell on day two alone. Uh, Joe Root took 5 for 8 best figures by an England captain in in nearly 40 years I could go on Virat Kohli thinks it was a very good pitch to bat on that's what he said after the game in the post-match press conference but Phil, going back to Callum's question is that a good pitch for for Test cricket?
0: Well, you'd have to have quite a peculiar relationship with Test cricket to enjoy a game that lasts uh, 31% of its allocated overs um, there was a killer stat that came out that more runs were scored in the T20 game between Australia and New Zealand than there were in this whole Test match. Now, if that's what people want from Test cricket, then fine. But that's not what I, I or pretty much anyone else that I've ever watched a game of Test cricket with understands as, as, as the five-day game. And I have to say the five-day game in inverted commas. Um, th- this is in no way, and I have to stress this, this is in no way making apologies for... Uh, England's disaster with the bat, following on from their disaster last week with the bat. That's now five uh, sub-200 innings in a row in Test cricket. Um, There is a much broader and more important overall issue around England's batsmanship that is being laid bare yet again. That doesn't excuse that pitch. That pitch... um, had taken it to extremes, I think. Joe, Joe Root was within his rights to, to be bashful when he picks the ball up, having taken five for eight. Virat um, Kohli, maybe, I don't know, indulging in a little bit of kidology or, or kind of altering his opposite number by saying it was a good pitch to bat on. Uh, this, this took it to extremes, I think, and um, ended up rather undermining the spectacle i think i don't think anybody tunes in on the first morning of a test match hoping it's going to be done in two days and i would imagine that large large numbers of indian fans while pleased that their team has won and now gone up in the series are looking at it and thinking that's not really what i want for from the test match game i don't think anybody can in their heart of hearts be satisfied with the way that this spectacle has, has played out um and rather rather sunk without trace
3: i agree with most of your points then like you obviously it's more than justified to criticise the pitch, which has provided a two-day game. But are you,
0: are you seriously saying that you didn't find a lot of today entertaining? Hand on heart, hand on heart, no, um, I didn't. Because there has to be a bit of bit of give and take. There has to be a bit of ebb and flow, and there wasn't. There wasn't even the sense um, that you know a, a batsman could fluke a sixty or a seventy. There wasn't even really that sense either. Um, there were all kinds of other factors at play but you asked me was it fun and actually yaz phoned me a couple of hours ago and said well, that was fun tongue slightly in cheek i didn't find it fun and i don't care who wins and we know this and i've told it, t- said this for years i don't mind who wins i'd like the game to win and that
2: to me wasn't that wasn't fun for me it was fun in the way that like uh a lot of sh- sort of schlocky gory horror films can be fun like you are. Uh you know sort of that uh, any character on screen is gonna die probably quite soon. Uh, and you're kind of interested to see how it happens, but you also know deep down that this isn't really high quality entertainment. Um, I'd just like to head off one argument about the pitch, which Virat Cody made himself actually in the post-match uh, presentation, when he talked about that lots of the wickets fell to balls skidding on. And we should also acknowledge that Akshar Patel bowled really, really well uh, on, on the surface, obviously it was helping him a lot, but he, like there's a pitch map that shows consistency, which was just absurd, basically. And he knew exactly what the way to bowl was, which was bowling quickly. So you couldn't really play off the pitch and mix those straight ones with the balls that were turning absolutely miles. But uh, Alastair Cook described it afterwards as a lottery, basically. So, so the thing with the straight on balls is like you can't just look at the balls going straight on and think like, well, I could play that because it's just going straight on at 60 miles an hour. You've got to look at all the balls that have led up to it, see how much they've spun and see like, that you really have no idea what's going to do each time and you guess wrong, then that's it, basically.
0: Yeah, I, I, I totally, totally see that. And it's a, it's a joyless start to this show, I think, to be, to be dwelling on the pitch over and above everything else. When if you look at Axel Patel's work over the course of the game, who out, and he outbowled Ashwin, um, and it's looking very tricky now to see really how, it, how England can combat him and Ashwin, sending it both ways.
1: We talked a lot in the last podcast about what a pink ball test might be like. And I wonder if the colour of the ball did actually have an impact because there haven't actually been that many. There have only been 16 pink ball tests, only one in India before this one. That one, all the wickets from India, at least, fell to pace. There have been a couple in Dubai where there are a few low scores as well. Eight in Australia, one in England, one in West Indies. Uh, one or two in New Zealand and one in South Africa. So we haven't actually had that many pink ball tests in spinning conditions. And I wonder actually if one of the effects of the pink ball is that it just skids through more, because that was, as you say, was, it was the inconsistency of the turn, not the actual turn itself that made batting so difficult for long periods of the game.
2: Yeah, and Joe Root made that exact point um, in both the presentation and the press conference afterwards that uh, kind of the, the lacquer on the ball was really making it sort of skid on I think especially under lights but even when it wasn't and that also was really contributing uh, so yeah that 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 was a factor too um, and so I guess the question now I guess because also you know Coley was pointing out that the batting was perhaps substandard and the question becomes what does this mean for the stadium and the pitch because if the pitch gets a poor rating uh, which it can do if there's excessive help to spin from early on which I think you'd say there was uh, then it would get three demerit points and if it gets another two demerit points or another poor rating or a poor outfield rating uh, then it will not be able to host a, uh, an international game for 12 months which is a bit of an issue when you've got a T20 World Cup scheduled uh, for this November and the final I think set to be held at this stadium uh, so I think we will quite likely see especially with needing a draw to reach World Championship final uh, the groundsmen will be doing their absolute best to make the the pitch for the fourth, uh, the exact opposite of this one. I think uh, if they had their way, it would be 700, play 700, uh, triple hundred with Ben folks. And, uh, but the thing is, is that uh, I guess the p- pitch pitch creation is as much an art as a science. And, you know, you can, you're, you're guessing as much how it's going to play as a pitch creator as you are as a captain trying to select your team on the first morning of the game. So I think... If the pitch is rated poor, which in my opinion it should be, uh, then India are skirting with probably much more damaging repercussions than a Test Series loss to England. Yeah, it certainly
0: feels like a long time ago since uh, the curator of that first Test match pitch at Chennai was promising two or three days of, of solid batsmanship, a little bit of pace for the seamers, and then the spinners to come into play in the last couple of days. That did play out. It's not... Uh, England's fault that Joe Root played out of his boots and dominated the first two days of that game. Uh, and he was, um, from what I gather, removed from his post uh, soon after. Um, certainly feels like a long time ago in, in this, this sort of story of, of pitches and how much they can be prepared and planned beforehand. Um, it, it's, it, it's a peculiar state that we're, that we're now in because ben, ben may well be right. I mean, it could be an absolute road, come next week uh just one tiny thing on this on this thing and Mark Rappacash made a good point on the tv this morning he was saying India are kind of they're gambling they're dicing with disaster really by preparing these these pitches where it kind of encourages a freak result because you would think with three outstanding spinners and players batsmen who are obviously more comfortable in these kinds of conditions you would think that they would back themselves to beat England over four days four and a half days um and that the first test would be a kind of anomaly in, in, in that it was held on roots' back. But by, play, by, by putting a pitch together like this, it does open up the chance of a freak result. Um, I mean, we've seen two freak games of cricket. They've fallen to India. But if in this last one just passed, it was so random and so wild and woolly and structureless that in a way it could have even fallen to England in a, in a bizarre kind of way. So... So it would be fascinating to see what they prepare next week. I just hope for the game. I hope for the, for the spectacle in the game that someone can bed down and get 100 on day one. I don't care who it is. I really don't. I just want to see a, a finale to this peculiar series that befits what's gone before.
3: I find them pretty interesting is that, that there was a stat that came up earlier today. I think it was before. It was perhaps during England's second innings. But it showed that the ball was spinning as much as it did in, in the last test. Um, I didn't have a problem with the pitch in the last test. I don't know what your, what, what, maybe Phil's opinion was of the, the pitch in the last test.
0: I thought there was probably quite a lot of overblown bluster around the pitch first time round. Um, and I was prepared to give it the benefit of the doubt because of what had played out the, the week before. Uh, also, I mean, crucially, a number eight made 100 on day three. Um, there were 200s made in that game. India outplayed England in, in every facet. So, you know, the, the, the whinging and the moaning about the pitcher after the, that, that particular test didn't really chime with me. But when it happens again on an even more extravagant level and you have two players who hit their way to 50 and that's it, and that's all you are going to get, and it's done in this, this time scale, I don't think this is just a kind of collective collapse of batsmanship. I think, I think the excuses for these, these tracks, these surfaces, which are planned and are prepared with this in mind, I think the excuses tend to run, run out
2: a little bit towards the end. Just one thing I'd say as well, just on, on that stat about the average degrees of spin, I think the number of straight balls could well have had an impact on that because that will reduce the average significantly because of the arm balls that are being bowled. So the average for balls with revs put on them could well have been quite a lot higher, although I don't, I don't know that, but I would speculate that that might be the case.
3: Yeah, but it could also be, to do with your point with the pink ball,
2: Yes, um, yeah which, which yeah. means you can bowl at that a bit quicker as well and possibly get the same amount of spin because so it's not a certain because obviously you can get slow turn you get quick turn you get inconsistent turn uh, I think this seemed like it was inconsistent turn and significant turn when there was sort of action put on the ball for me so I I didn't have a problem with the second test pitch and I think this one was a reasonable amount across the line of accessibility
1: the the regulations also mention unevenness of bounce as well and in the India second innings, there were a couple of balls from Jack Leach to Shuman gill but it came through at like shin high, like length balls that came through at shin high, just outside the off stump, are not quite as eye-catching and memorable. But for that on day two, is just, you just don't see that in test cricket anywhere, really. I promise this is my final question about the pitch. Paddy Sidwell asks, the ICC appoints neutral umpires, so why don't they also appoint neutral pitch curators? Not only would it put an end to tedious pitch debates, but it would also protect the game's integrity.
2: Uh, I, I like it in theory uh, as an idea. I guess the the one thing would be is that I think pitch curation is probably more of a localised art than umpiring is. I mean, and, and umpiring isn't a completely unlocalized thing. Like I think if you are a, a, an Indian umpire, you you know you get used to ground conditions, to, to bounces, that sort of thing. Uh, so you can judge some things better, but I think obviously neutral umpires are good. But I think that for pitch curation, you need to have probably quite an intimate knowledge of what a, uh, what a ground is like, what uh, a stadium is like, to know what needs to be done to produce a good surface. And that could be harder with sort of like a few sort of globe-trotting pitch curates going around the world.
1: There was still a test match to be won, whatever anyone thinks about the pitch. And India, as we kind of all have said, um, outplayed England. Ben Sundal asked, do you think you might be able to unpack for some of us lay people what thought processes go into teams judging the pitch and conditions beforehand? It seems strange just how differently India and England judged it. Uh, India going in with three spinners, England going in with four seamers. Um, at the toss, when English England won, Joe Root decided to bat first, and he he didn't seem sure about how he thought the pitch would play. Taha, what what do you make of England's selection of the eleven? Um, do you do you think they misread the pitch, or do you think going in with one frontline spinner was actually more to do with the confidence they have in their other spin bowling options at the moment?
3: Um, I think it's pretty obvious that England was just playing to their strengths. They, they were looking at how pinball tests have gone before and this, this gave the op- them the option of using um, one more Cena, which is what they always ideally like to do. Um, and I think there's another story at play here, which is we don't really know the situation with Don Best right now. Um, it's quite clear that a bit of faith has been lost in him. We don't know how he's bowling in the nets. Um, and he was the only other spin option they have. They could have maybe plucked a reserve spinner out of there but that would have been a bit you know, 4-0 down in the ashes rather than 1-0 one, one, one in, the, in the series against India. England were always going to look to this test to, 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 to play to their strengths, and they, they almost didn't want to look at the pitch. They just wanted to focus on what they could do through the air with, with the seamers um, and having just that one or other option. If, if, if Maureen Ali had been here, I'm not going to go into the whole rotation thing, but that would have really helped with with, with this whole debate, easily played him as well, and then even still had that other seamer, and then they just had done Bess, and it's clear, quite clear, that they they really don't see him as entering a test match right now, which is is quite worrying considering there's another test at this ground, um, and he's still the only other spinner in that squad. You know, be yeah. interesting to see whether they give him that game or they even pluck another spinner out? Because they're definitely going to have to play two spinners in the next test.
0: Well, yeah, you would would think the best would have to come back and they'd have to gamble on that. Um, It's a very good point that you make that perhaps something is bubbling under the surface. I haven't heard anything. I don't know if anyone else has here. Uh, But you would have thought that he would, if he been persuasive in the nets in the build-up to this game then he would have got the gig Uh, I'm not being wise after the event we spoke about this last week and we all said that we're a bit bit iffy to fall into the trap of thinking that because it's a pink ball and there's some lights around that it's not going to turn square we all said that if India have Ashwin and Aksar in their side then the the ball is going to turn off the straight quite quickly Um, what the hell happens next week it will be interesting to see because you would imagine best will have to come back they're not going to throw it you know, to Parkinson, Crane, whoever is even left um, these days. I don't even know who's part of the backroom, backroom staff. Do so you would think they'll go in there with two and hope for the best?
2: Yeah, I think uh, to, to answer, uh, was it Paddy? Paddy's question. Uh, trying to answer it in a bit of depth. I think that there's, a, it's a lot of sort of guesswork essentially that goes into trying to read a pitch. You're not allowed to do much on a pitch before a test match starts. You can sort of look at it. And I think if you're the captain, you're allowed to sort of like walk on it and maybe have a, a very close look and maybe press it. But you can't bowl a ball on it. You can't uh, do anything that might actually damage the pitch. So you'd have to kind of judge it based on what you've seen other pitches. Like you can, I guess, talk to the curator and the groundsman and try and glean what you can from that. But there is a lot of guesswork that goes on. And we've seen, I mean, you know, this this pitch didn't, I mean, you saw there was quite a lot of dust being swept off it on the second morning. But it didn't actually look that bad, even when the game started, I didn't think. It didn't look like it was, you know, it had been, you know, raked or that it was hugely dusty. It just did take a lot of spin. Uh, and we've seen, you know, tests in England that have looked, where the pitch have looked very green and the ball hasn't seen much. And they talk about, is it dead grass and the pitch is it live grass? And then other games where, you know, the pitch hasn't been too green, but it swung around corners or it seemed a lot like it's, there's a lot of guesswork that goes into it. And I think that, yeah, especially with the added unknown of the pink ball, England were really, shooting the dark and we're almost like banking on if we are going to win it's going to be with our seamers so let's pick our seamers and then if it does end up not spinning too much and swing a lot then we've got a chance and if it doesn't do that then we're probably going to lose anyway sort of thing. I think that England were kind of trying to play the odds in a way Uh, but I don't think they really knew and well clearly they didn't know because they got it wrong.
3: Even then with India I mean even they would have been shocked I mean otherwise why, why play... Just Pete Broom or, or Ishan Sharma, just give uh, pluck another spinner in there. In the end, they you know Washington and Sunday was used for one over as well, but they could have easily even they if they'd read the pitch right, they would have conked on him with another another spinner as well.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about that. I think under lights as well, they are taking a bob each way while maintaining a, an attack that's dominated by three spinners. Well, one thing we can be sure of next week is that the pitch will take spin again uh, because they're not going to want to just play a. They're not going to put an absolute road out. Uh, so, so England are going to have to, have to weigh up their options and, and Joe's going to have to get in Bessie's ear and tell him he's, he's his boy and tell him he's got, he's got a lot to offer. And, you know, as you've written about Taha, his, his record, okay, it's a bit in and out over the last couple of months, but his record is, is, is useful, very useful. He's taken key wickets, big wickets. He got Coley out legitimately in that first Test match. So he'll have to come back into the side. Um, it feels a little bit forlorn, but then it's been such an eccentric few weeks anyways, and it's been an eccentric winter uh, that you never quite know. You never quite know how this is going to play out. I have half an, an instinct that England, you know, if they were to win the toss and, and the pitch is not quite as wild as it has been here and, and last week, then they're not necessarily absolutely dead on their arse here. I don't, I don't even really see that if they can somehow post 300 in that first innings, if someone can just chance their arm, they can use their feet as well. I mean, they got stuck, didn't they, in the second innings quite dramatically. Um, But the saddest moment of the match was when Jack Leach just ran down the pitch and popped it over long on. You know, I mean, the top seven must have just been hanging their heads in their hands. So yeah, look, it's a one in 10 shot, sure, next week. But if they could somehow put some kind of competitive score on the board... Uh, then you never know because this is a peculiar series, and both teams are kind of fallible at the moment.
3: You make, uh, you make a good point on that on that lead shot because I remember watching it and thinking, "How is this the first time we've we've seen this happen in this innings?" And I felt like that in the in the last as well. I, I don't know what you guys think, but I did. I felt at times that England could have come down the wicket a bit more, and even in in this last innings that they played, um, Dom Sidley at the start of his innings after that. that carnage of that first over. He was showing some signs of just coming down the wicket and you know, um, using his feet to, to get the quick single, rotating the strike pretty well. Um, but just didn't see a lot of that. Um, now, obviously with, with Axlar, he, he bowls quickly. So obviously that's harder, but then again, sweeping him seems even harder than that. So it was quite, uh, I just feel like we've not seen enough of that from, from England.
0: It was interesting how little uh, Root came down the track in, in both innings. Um, and I think the pace that Axar bowls is relevant to that, as you say, and the bounce that they both get is also relevant. It's harder to play cross bat shots against balls that are bouncing and so on. But it was interesting. When you think of how he played in, in Sri Lanka in particular, dancing down the track, using the full range of his crease, you didn't really see that this innings or this match. You saw Olly Pope try it a little bit. Frenetic couple of innings by Pope um, and done in... In identical fashion, done by the by the the straight on, possibly the carom ball by um, by Ashwin, but playing with very very low hands and a lot going on, you know, for such a good young technician as as Pope is against the the seaming ball, there was a lot going on uh, in both of these innings against the turning ball. I thought, and and whether we want to go down that road or not, I mean, it's staring us in the face, isn't it? Zach Crawley is a fine young player, no question. You saw the way that he played the seaming ball. He's, he's a fabulous player. Ollie Pope is, is, is a pedigree player against, against quick bowling. We've seen it in test cricket. We've seen him take Nokia Nork, down the ground, and Rabada down the ground. But these two have never faced anything like this. Not only have they never batted on these tracks, but they've never faced anything of this kind of quality before. So we have to contextualise these, these limitations and, and these, these scrabblings around to try and make sense of it.
1: Yeah, so we actually had a question on that exactly. Mike asked, poor techniques, yes, dreadful pitch, yes, but how do England actually get better on pitches like this? The county championship is barely played in the middle of the summer. It's a fair question. Just two rounds of next year's county championship are currently scheduled for July or August. Um, h- how do English spinners get enough overs to bowl and learn how to bowl on, on on any kind of pitches, let alone turning pitches? And how do English batsmen get enough exposure to the turning ball? It may have been a poor pitch, but was it at 112 and 81 all out pitch
2: Yeah I mean they can probably stop penalising Somerset for uh, preparing pitches which do spin that's the ECB uh, uh, I think that yeah I don't think they're going to with the best will in the world squeeze that much more into the, the middle of the summer now that there's you know a new 100 ball competition um, so I think they're going to have to just try and find ways either to sort of just artificially essentially prepare some spinning wickets uh, in September or even in in May, or just I mean, before they've had, which they haven't had recently, but they've obviously in the past had lots of Lions tours, which I think have been really useful for both being able to play in foreign conditions, but also to work with like the, the best coach in the country uh, at developing your game. Um, and you know, there was a spin camp uh, before the South Africa tour that Don Best went on and came back as sort of a, a change bowler, essentially. So there are ways around that; they don't all have to be. You know, you know, the county cricket is played in what four months, four, five months of the year. There's another seven months of the year when a cricketer can be sort of learning their their craft. And I think that the other thing about the counter-championship point is that even if you do play a few more, like a counter-championship game in August isn't going to be played on a pitch like that one. It might take turn, you know, you might have a bit more help for spin bowlers. It would probably, it would be a good thing uh, in isolation for the development of English cricket, Uh, but it still won't really prepare you for playing on that kind of surface, which is, yeah, will just be alien- to kind of any pitch play in England ever, apart from a, a couple of Taunton for which they've been uh, penalised for.
1: It, it, this is not a problem that just affects England. It's a problem that um, all countries really have, that that white white ball cricket is, at domestic level, prioritised more, is being prioritised more and more. Um, and we've talked about before how um, away wins in test cricket are becoming and have been genuinely pretty rare over the last few years, rarer than they have been in the past so like is this just something we're going to have to get used to we're just going to see more test matches like this where teams really really struggle in conditions they're not used to you know um you know english you know, it, the young english batsmen have struggled on this tour but who's to say that the indian batsmen who look really good here might struggle in england etc is this is not this has always been a trend in test cricket but are we not just going to see more of it i don't really like, logically isn't that just the, the way the place where you end up at
2: sorry there's a little bit of recency bias there, I think, though, yeah, it's because I mean, sure, England have lost their last two tests in India, but they did win six away from home before that. India just won in Australia. I actually think that, uh, just to some extent, I think you can over, overblow how hard it is to win away from home. I think teams are showing that it is possible if you play really well, and often it's actually to do with the just the gap in. I think you're what, what we're more seeing in test cricket at the moment is that gap opening up between the top four and the rest, where the top four. Can kind of seem to be able to challenge each other home and away pretty well. Uh, and then the, the bottom four don't hugely come close. Obviously, England do their best at home to sort of make series interesting. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's what I'd say on that. But, yeah, we I mean, we saw you saw it really during the India-Australia series. Well, I think Australia could have really, really done with the Sheffield Shield being played alongside that series because you had Travis Head and Matthew Wade both being pretty out of form and there not being any chance for a batsman to put up their hand for selection because they were playing the big bash. You know, Osmond Khawaja has scored loads of runs before the series starts and the championship. has scored loads of runs since, but you couldn't have said that he was demanding a case for selection because he was playing T20 cricket, he wasn't playing first-class cricket. So, yeah, I mean, so this is all kind of a product of the modern world rather than something that's been designed for the purposes of ensuring a country has the best test team possible. Um, and I think that you know, if, if you actually looked at all the factors, you would probably concede that maybe it's fair enough that a team's test quality, a uh, test side takes a bit of a hit in quality for the advantages that playing white ball cricket in the height of summer brings, but it is undoubtedly an issue. But I, but I think that it's also an issue misguided by the fact that actually test cricket has been really, really exciting for quite a long time, I think, actually. I, can, I can't I can remember as a cricket fan uh, test cricket being as exciting as it is right now, sort of the range of like incredible results that we've seen and I think it's actually in, in pretty good health. I don't, think, I don't think we need to worry about the quality of it too much, uh, even though this, like, this test provides evidence of the contrary, I guess.
0: Going back to the question, um, and it's a fundamental one, isn't it? How, how does English cricket, how do English batsmen become a little bit more capable against the turning ball? That's the fundamental question. I spoke to Simon Harmer the Essex off spinner, South African born Essex off spinner. And he said, this was a year or two ago. And he said, the thing with English players, they're they're blocking for their lives or they're trying to hit me for six. He said, there's nothing in between. He said, the only player is James Vince, who he he struggled to bowl to in first class cricket. Um, And, and what Essex do is they build their attack around Harmer and they, they, they prepare pitches that do a little bit more than others. Uh, firstly, to drive results, and secondly, to, to benefit their, their spinner. Now, Simon Harmer is a top-class off-spinner, as we know. Um, and Simon Harmer has come into to, to English county cricket as a mature cricketer. He came in at 26, 27. However, there is a fair question to ask. What happens to, to the English Simon Harmer when he's coming through in his early 20s? How many games is this player being given, and how much is the culture allowing for this player to, to to develop his game, and how much is the culture actually uh, stimmying this player? And you look at it, and, and there are a number of examples that don't make good reading. Um, Matt, Matt Parkinson has played something like 30-odd first-class games of cricket, didn't play until July in 2019 for Lancashire, and when he did come back, he took 10 for um, and won the game quite comfortably, took 6-20 for 20 on day one. Now, sure, we, pitches need to be uh, considered for spin bowling, no doubt about it. But it's a cultural thing as well. Teams have to be prepared to be more open, I think, to playing their good young spinners. And if they get some tap, and if they go at fives, then so be it. I spoke to Ian Salisbury about this because he's, he took 900 first-class wickets while being simultaneously criticised for, for bowling too many long hops and full tosses. He won three or four championships, three championships for Surrey while being criticised for, for not being Shane Warne. Ian Salisbury is now the head coach at Sussex, uh, and I spoke to him about this two months ago. And he said the new proposed system of a three, uh, three tier, three teams of three groups of six rather, uh, and in effect a conference style, where there's no relegation and no promotion. Um, and he said that this is this has got enormous support across the game, and from a spin point of view, this is potentially game changing. Slightly fewer games. Therefore, you can give them more, uh, more respect, more of, a, more of a spectacle. And because you are not too concerned about potentially finishing in the, in the bottom part of your group, because there is no penalization to finishing sixth out of six, that encourages teams in their four-day stuff to bring through young players. He said that this happened to Sussex last year. Their number one first-class wicket-taker was a young off-spinner. Um, he is now feeling, as a head coach, that this, the new proposals will enable him to justify to his members and his CEOs and his chairman and his squad, we can play young kids, we can let them develop, because there is not that jeopardy of promotion, relegation, financial hits that come with it, and so on and so on. Um, these new proposals might just liberate the county game and open it up and enable teams to live a little and experiment a little and bring young kids through. And that means bring young leggies through, young left armors, Uh and not hit down on them, but actually allow them to express themselves and learn on the job.
3: Yeah, the, um, the point you make about Harmer, I remember speaking to Ollie Rayner, ex-middlesex off spinner um, last year, and him talking about the, the two best spinners in current cricket over the last 10 years, both Jeetan Patel and, and Simon Harmer. Now these two guys have been crucial to the success of their counties over the last 10 years, bringing them loads of trophies. They were able to get their overs under the belt in New Zealand and South Africa. Now, if you could do the same with an English off-spinner or a leg spinner, give them that time to get the overs, then what you could have is a, is a guy who who basically anchors the success of your county for the next four or five years. That's what Patel did. That's what Harmer's doing at Essex right now. Um, so it's about having that patience. And, and Rainer, Rainer's example was interesting because he was the guy who, who who didn't really get that patience. I mean, he's, he's out of the professional game now when he won the county championship with Middlesex just a few years ago, um, but he never had those overs under his belt as a youngster. Um, maybe if he had done, he could have been that guy who you'd, you'd centre Middlesex's uh, success around for a few years. You need to give these guys overs in time and, uh, and then give them the good missions to actually develop. And that way, obviously, you're going to get better players of spin.
0: Just just on the Harmer's example in and of itself today as well, this, this notion that, um, and to quote Ollie Rayner, you Rayner, know, what he tells the young offspin is go and, go and learn how to bat. Well, Harmer dominates county cricket. So it's not impossible to turn the ball with your fingers off the straight conventionally. It's not impossible, and he's proving it. And many others have as well before him. So this is not a completely closed shot, but what it requires... Are the, is buy-in from the counties. the counties. The culture around the counties has to be less obsessed with squeezing in David Masters like seamers and Darren stevens like seamers. Respect to both of those legends of the game, sure. But we can't be dominated by that. A county has to, has to be prepared to, to, to draw a game on day four rather than win or lose a game on day two. And the only way that we are going to bring, bring spinners through is if we open ourselves up, if the game opens itself up a little bit, has a bit more respect for spinners uh, and doesn't marginalise them. This is not me talking. This is, this is Min Patel saying this. This is Ian Salisbury saying this. This is Peter Such saying this. All of those three have both spin for England and have worked for the ECB in the last two or three years and they all say the same thing. Uh, this, is, this is not just a kind of post-test match kick-around. This is, something, this is something that is being discussed in the, in the highest reaches of the English game, and it needs to. So,
3: strangely enough, I think if England were to suffer basically the same result in the same fashion the next test, I think that would be a blessing in disguise. I think that would actually force that change. Whereas if they get the so same pitch they did in that first test, somehow put together a similar performance and even come away with a draw or a narrow loss, we might not see that. They might actually need a thrashing to really get this lesson.
1: England have been thrashed in Asia before and not, not, not a whole lot changed. And yeah, I think it's a really valid point because we were talking earlier about um, the, the the discussions that might have led to England only playing one front-line spin. At the end of the day, England's options on the, in the touring group, and I know there are reasons why there aren't others, um, Ada Rashid's not, not playing Red Bull cricket at the moment, Liam Dawson's injured, but Amal, Amal Verdi, 28 first-class games, Mason Crane... Zach, actually paid 42, Matt and 20. Like, there aren't really, there aren't, there aren't the options there.
0: Just just on that, I wonder if they might go for broke and maybe bring Birdie in. Um, maybe we'll discuss this next week when the dust has settled. But I wouldn't be surprised. There was a rumour going around that Birdie might have been in the frame earlier on in the winter. And I wouldn't be surprised if they look at him and think possibly. Uh, yeah, I mean, Moeen would be playing, wouldn't he? He would have played in this last Test match. He'd be playing next week. In his absence, I wonder if Verdi might be considered at the moment to be an option, even alongside Bess, who can say. One thing you can guarantee, though, is the pitch will turn next week because, because India won't want just to slug it out over five days.
1: Joe Root bowled well, though, didn't he?
0: Didn't he just? England's best spinner.
1: I mean, we've, we've, we've jokingly asked this question before, but he bowled he really well. Like I know <laughs> the pitch was helpful, but five for eight. Five for eight. Just needs to learn how to bowl over the wicket now. <laughs> yeah, he did, uh, didn't do Ben Folkes any, any favours in the fourth innings, did he? In all seriousness, if he bowls that well, that does change the equation. I mean, part, I'd argue part of what England got wrong was um, not bowling Root early enough. The game was basically gone by the time Root came into the
2: attack. Uh, part, part of the thing that he's spoken about is the, uh, the pressure that lots of bowling puts on his, his back. So I think re- relying on him to be a properly reliable second choice spinner. Uh, it's, it's similar to, to Michael Clark, was a, a pretty fine left arm spinner on his day, uh, but also had injury problems, which meant he couldn't bowl to the extent that he liked. He's actually got better test-best figures than Joey. He took six for nine, which is one better and one worse than five for eight. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that, that does come into it. But yeah, he, bow- he bowled really well, but, but he was saying that like the fact that I took five for eight does say something about the wicket. So I think that even he's not taking full credit for it, I think.
0: What was your impression of England's England's attitude in the field at the end of day one.
1: I think they got a decision from the third umpire today that they might not have done had they not behaved like that. It was a Joe Root LBW. We said we said last week that maybe maybe England were too nice at times in the in the in the second test, but they were. I don't know. I think there were moments where it didn't look great. It didn't look great, but you know you're, you're being you're being thrashed in a test match, and the third umpire just isn't it's not that they weren't really contesting the decision itself. It was just the procedure that led to the decision, which I think it's fair to question. That is a very frustrating thing to have to deal with. The way in which they did that on the field wasn't wasn't right, but I think having a quiet word with a match referee, as they reportedly did after playing on day one, is absolutely fine.
2: Yeah, I think consistency becomes a bit of a, a, a buzzword when you're trying to criticise the umpires without criticising the umpires, I think. <laughs> uh, it was what Tim Payne got in trouble for... Uh, uh, in the Australia-India series he, he actually called it F-inconsistency Which was part of the reason why he, uh, he got a demerit point I don't think England will get a demerit point Especially based on uh, Virat Cody not getting one in the second test and That that would that would be inconsistent um, But yeah I mean didn't quite see I mean they, they did come to the decisions very quickly On occasion in this test match Especially that Stokes one But it did look straight away As if it had hit the ground So I guess if you're looking for proof that ball has hit the ground and you see it straight away then you know the other thing we're always saying is like get on with the game, we want these over rates up, we don't want to spend ages looking at reviews, umpires are sort of treading a, a fine line in a in a range of ways so I, I didn't have a, a huge problem with, with much of the decision making in this test really, I think that they actually probably got most or all of them right on balance and you can possibly quibble with the fact that they could have looked at another angle here or done something a bit slower there but I, I thought it was was kind of all right. I I, I wonder though, I mean, firstly, I think neutral umpires just, just to sort of ward off the debate more than anything need to come back into, uh, into cricket so that, you know, you don't have any accusations of like unconscious bias or, you know, pressure from a home crown that sort of over familiarity with the players and that sort of thing, all all of which have kind of possibly influenced decisions at at various points. Uh, And also I think one thing that I've seen suggested is having, I know it hasn't worked in, football but having sort of like a centralized DRS uh operator who is sort of trained in using the technology and that's kind of all they do that's their thing they're a specialist at that rather than you know umpires stand on the field sometimes TV umpires some other games and you've kind of got an umpire who's kind of made their like their name and got to where they are on the on the virtue on on the base of how good they are on the field at you know judging decisions and managing the players and that sort of thing then having to go and do something that they are essentially like, you don't know how good they're going to be. They haven't got the job as an umpire or as a TV umpire because how good they are as a TV umpire, they've got it as how good they are as a standing umpire. And I think that could well be something that receives more consideration if only to, again, perhaps quell some uh, uh, some concerns rather than because it's actually the decision-making has been awful, I think.
0: Yeah, I'd echo that. I think... I think that that point is going to become louder and louder uh, over the next period of time. Worth saying, I don't think the umpiring on, on the field has been bad at all. I think the umpire has been pretty good, actually. It's a very, very difficult thing to do when it's turning square and, you know, hitting pads and chests almost sometimes and back legs and all sorts. I think the umpire, umpiring has been very good and absolutely above board. There's no question whatsoever that there's been anything like at work. Uh, but you're right. I think the, the third umpire job... Has to become increasingly specialised as we move through this game and become ever more ultra professional. I think that's that's probably inevitable and probably a good thing. I would say.
1: And then and then finally, just a word on Ravichandran Ashwin. He became the second quickest to 400 Test wickets in terms of matches played. There was a period actually where he wasn't bowling so well at the start of the England second innings, but um, Ashwin absolutely brilliant again. And it's the latest in a quite a long line of recent performances. It's quite interesting actually after the game him talking about how. He wasn't expecting to start that Australia series um, and here we are, six, seven test matches later, 400 test wickets um, and key player in, in what was looking like another big India
0: series win. I think, I think he's my favourite spinner that I've ever watched. I, just, I love his style and I love the way he works you out. I'm um, so pleased for him in Australia because there's always been that issue around his performances away from home and obviously he needs to crack England. Before we can put him in the warm morally bracket, but as a as a an artist and so sharp, so bright. I mean, he knows his way around a situation so perfectly, um, and he and he and he has all the all the tricks. You know, he's it, just a joy to watch, really is. And it's the kind of cricketer that you warm to. There's a hinterland away from the game. He's intelligent. He's a bit cheeky. He's, he's a bit irascible at times. He's not especially uh, line towingly conventional. Uh, I just love watching him a fair play to him. one of the greats, one of the modern greats and one of the all timers, really. I mean, those figures, 400, test ma- uh, 400 wickets in, in that number of games, he's right, right up there. And it's not pitches, it's, it's quality.
3: Yeah, your, your last line's pretty key there because in, in the last two tests, it's, we've been drawn into the debate on pitches. But if you look at Ashwin, the thing I enjoyed most about watching him is the, the change in pace. Um, the way he flights it. If, if you look at the way he got Stokes out in the last test, um, it re- there was really nothing to do with the pitch there. Obviously, it turned quite sharply, but it was pitched quite full. And it was really the, the flight and him sort of... It felt like he took a few, few, few miles off it. That really did for Stokes there. And so he's just... He's masterful in that regard.
1: It's a massive... That's massive for the series, though. Um, Ashwin has now got Stokes out 11 times in 11 test matches, five more than anyone else five more times than anyone else. Um, and Stokes has kind of threatened to play like a, a, a freak knock. He, he started well a few times, but Ashwin just having his number actually could have a massive and has had a big impact on the series. Ben, you were going to say something?
2: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll come onto your Stokes point first. Actually, I was going to say something about Ashwin, but I think, and, you know, this isn't really a criticism of the rotation policy as such, because I mean, you know, th- there are lots of good reasons for it to exist. But one sort of uh, uh, sort of undiscussed consequence of it isn't just that players, uh, that England are without players for certain test matches, but also that players come in without the necessary preparation kind of under their belts. I think you've seen that, you know, Stokes, if he'd had, uh, you know, two tests in Sri Lanka against uh, an inferior off-spinner Dur- in but still an off-spinner, and, you know, time in the nets against Don Best and whoever, like he would have come into this series much better prepared. And similarly, we saw with Bairstow in this game, he's normally a very good player of spin, uh, just looked completely awesome. He faced three balls of spin, was given out LBW off two of them, and then was bowled off the third, uh, having survived a review. Um, so that's, that's what I'd say on, on Stokes, that, that, you know, Ashton has got his number and that has been a huge, had a huge bearing on the series. But you just wonder how it would have unfolded if he could have played those two tests and Sri Lanka come in with a little bit more Batting time under his belt uh, would have been interesting to see how that would have transpired. But, but on, on Ashwin, uh, Aditya Sharma, the Wisden India editor, did a really, really good uh, interview with Stuart McGill, where he actually he was talking about, um, but he talking about spin bowling in general. But at one point, he was talking about uh, watching Gabriella Sabatini and Steffi Graf uh, play in the Australian Open and saying that he was sitting courtside watching them, uh, watching them hit it back and forth. And he said, uh, "When you're watching TV, you think that's just backwards forwards." But every single time they hit the ball, it was slightly different. A little off and a little bit more. And it never landed where their opponent thought it would land. That's what good bowling is about for me. And that's exactly what watching Ashton bowl is like. There's no two balls the same, really. There's like every time the release angle is slightly different or he's a little bit wider on the crease or he's closer into the stumps or he's pitching it slightly closer. And that, that all feels deliberate rather than like him sort of like not knowing what he's doing. It all feels like perfectly in control. And he's just toying with batsmen sometimes. Yeah that he's absolutely brilliant to
1: watch what way to end the show thanks Ben Tar Phil Um, we're we're about to finish recording at 4.20pm on Thursday which is about when stumps on day two should have been Um, (laughs) so thanks guys thanks listeners if you enjoy the show tell your friends and we'll be back next week for our regular weekly show cheers
2: Podcast Network.